patent marking refers to the process by which a company that owns patents can give notice of those patents to the public, including any competitors, by marking the company's products with the patent numbers that cover them. It can be important because in some situations, the failure to mark can limit the company's ability to recover damages in a future patent case. I'm Amy Cotman, and you're listening to Baker Hosts. On today's episode, we discuss patent marking, including what it is, why it's important, and some best practices for doing it correctly and efficiently. To provide us insight into this topic, we have Eric Carlson. Eric is a partner in Baker Hostetler's Intellectual Property Group, where he litigates and tries intellectual property cases. He has seen firsthand what can go wrong when a company has not marked its products and finds itself in litigation against a competitor. He has also counseled clients before litigation to set up a marking program that helps avoid problems later in litigation. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be here. Eric, to begin, can you tell us what is patent marking and why is it important? Patent marking refers to a process by which companies can give notice to the public, including their competitors, of their patents and the products that are covered by those patents. And it's important because if a company doesn't do this, it could face a limitation on damages in future patent litigation. So this process of patent marking is provided by a federal statute, 35 U.S. Code, Section 287A. You can type that into a web search and pull up the text. But essentially what it says is that a company can place the word patent and a list of patent numbers on the product itself. So the product itself is marked with that patent marking. And by doing so, it provides notice to the public. Now, in addition to putting patent in the numbers, you can also use an abbreviation PAT period, just PAT in the numbers, that works too. And that's what we refer to as traditional patent marking. Now there's also a newer provision in that statute that provides for virtual patent marking, which uses a web page to provide this marking. And I can talk a little bit more about that later. The the important part of patent marking is that Well, let me take a step back. So in patent litigation, you can typically get up to six years of past damages. So damages going back before you file your complaint, six years, and that can be a substantial amount of damages. The patent marking statute says, if you don't comply with the statute and mark your products, you can lose the ability to recover that six year period of past damages. So it can be very important. It sounds like a costly mistake. Yeah, it certainly can be. What types of companies should mark their products and patent numbers? Generally, any company that owns patents and makes, offers, or sells products in the United States. That's what the patent statute applies to, those types of companies. Now, there are some exceptions. If your company only has method patents, so if you look at the back of the patent, those numbered paragraphs are the claims. And if those claims are only directed to a method, so a method for performing step A, step B, step C, then there's no duty to mark. And the courts generally say that with a method, there typically isn't a physical product to mark, so there's no duty to mark anything. And I've seen companies like medical diagnostic testing companies or manufacturing process companies, 
they tend to have patents that are directed to methods. So they wouldn't have to mark assuming all of their patents were only method claims. Now, oftentimes those companies also have product or system patents that cover equipment used in performing the methods. So in that case, it would be a good idea to mark because the patent statute would apply to them. Now, the other exception is early stage companies that don't yet make a product or offer it or sell it. Those companies, because there is no product, they don't have any duty to mark either. And as an aside, there's a weird quirk to this statute where it actually is more beneficial to non-practicing entities, what we derogatorily call patent trolls, because non-practicing entities don't have any products. The marking statute doesn't apply to them. And they can recover the full six years of past damages, whether they mark or not. Whereas operating companies, they do have products and they have to comply with the marking statute to get those six years of past damages. It's a weird quirk to the statute, but that's the way it's drafted. Eric, earlier you mentioned virtual marking. Could you tell us what that is and why it can be useful? Absolutely. Virtual marking is a newer part of the statute that was added about 12 years ago with the America Invents Act. And what it does is it makes it easier for companies to comply with a marking statute. So with traditional marking, you would typically have to place that patent marking with the numbers on the physical product itself. Now you can imagine what would happen if your company gets new patents or additional patents on that product it has to update its patent marking every time a new patent issues. That can be burdensome if you have to change the patent marking on the product itself. Say you have some type of laser inscription or something like that. It can be burdensome to update that patent marking every time you get a new patent. So Congress made it easier with this virtual marking process. And what virtual marking is, is on the physical product, you place the word patent, and then a web address. And that web address points to a web page on your company's website. On your website, that's where you list your patents and the products that are covered by the patents. So when a new patent issues, your company can just update the web page instead of updating tooling or updating whatever you're doing to mark your physical product. It makes it much easier to comply with the marking statute. Certainly. Eric, will you share some best practices for a company that is developing a patent marking program? Yes. As a, as a first step, you need to gather a list of your company's patents, and then someone should analyze the claims of the patents. And again, the claims are the numbered paragraphs at the end of the patent that define what the invention is. It's like a, it's like a deed to a piece of physical property. So someone needs to analyze those patent claims and determine which products are covered by the patents. Once you've done that, you can start creating the content of your virtual marketing page. And the virtual marketing page should start with a explicit statement that the page is, is intended to, to meet the requirements of the marking statute, just to make it clear what the purpose of the page is. And then you typically have a table and the table lists products in one column and patents covering the products in another column. So you're mapping the products to the patents that cover them. Then at the bottom of the page, it's a good idea to have a last updated date. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. 
But once you have the content of your web page finalized, then you post it somewhere with a, a web address that you don't think is going to change very often. So you could use the company's web address and then a backslash patents or a backslash patent marking, something like that, where that can be the home for your virtual patent marking and you won't need to change that address. Once you have the web page posted, you should put a process in place to add the patent marking to the physical product itself or the packaging. Those are two options. You can put it on the product itself, or if that's not feasible, say the product is too small, you can put it on the package of the product. And the marking that goes on the product or the package says, again, patent, and then the web page or the abbreviation PAT period and the web page. And to see that magic language, you can always look back at the statute 35 USC 287A. Now, once you get the web page up on the internet and you have your patent marking on the product itself, you're not done because courts say that marking needs to be consistent and continuous and you need to mark substantially all products. So it's always a good idea to, when you first post your marking web page, just print it to a PDF and save it somewhere so you can rely on it in future litigation. And each time you update it, obviously change the, up, the last updated date on the web page and then print another PDF so you have a copy of, uh, of each update. And that'll make it easy. You'll have a good set of evidence on marking to rely on in litigation because it is the patentee's burden to show that their products were marked. Eric, you make this sound really easy. Tell me about some tricky situations that may present potential pitfalls for a company that implements a marking program. One tricky situation relates to patents covering software. Oftentimes with software, there isn't a physical product to mark. Say your software is available as a web app or it's available for download over the web. There isn't a physical product to mark. The law isn't very well developed in this area, but what I typically advise clients to do is to place your virtual patent marking in a location that's analogous to the package of your software. So let's say you have a splash screen that pops up when someone logs into your web app or there's a splash screen associated with the download, you could put your virtual patent marking there. Or maybe you have an about section of your settings page where you have like the version numbers and some other legal notices, you could put your patent marking there. Absent either of those two, you could just put it in the footer of the web page where users access your web app or download your software. Now, another potential pitfall has to do with licensing your patents. So if your company licenses its patents, you have a duty not only to mark your own products, but to assure that your licensees also mark their products. The statute says that the licensees don't, that can cut off your ability to recover those past damages, those six years of past damages. So the way that, that you typically manage this is to put a provision in the license agreement whereby the licensee agrees to mark its products. So that doesn't get you totally out of the woods because you still need to monitor your licensee's compliance with that provision to make sure that they're marking their products. The final pitfall deals with something called false marking, which is set forth in a, another statute. That's 35 U.S.C. Section 292. 
And false marking, what that says is if you put a patent, if you mark a product with a patent that doesn't actually cover the product, then you can be liable for damages as long as someone experiences competitive injury from your false marking. As another aside on false marking, the original text of the false marking statute used to provide that anyone could sue a company for false marking, and by statute, they were entitled to $500 per offense, so per product sold. Under that original text, there was a wave of false marking cases against various companies. And you can imagine for consumer products companies that have hundreds of millions in sales, the damages claims can get into the trillions. So in response to that wave of litigation, Congress changed the false marking statute to require that anyone who sues a company for false marking has to show some competitive injury. And Congress also eliminated the $500 statutory damages. So the damages for false marking are not as draconian anymore, but companies should still exercise caution to avoid false marking. And the way to do that is to, as I mentioned before, review your patent claims and make sure that they actually cover the products you're marking. Absent that, you could run into issues with false marking. Is there anything else companies should know about patent marking? Yes. Some companies form a patent portfolio for defensive purposes. They don't ever intend to assert their patents offensively. They're only used as a deterrent. And those companies may think, well, why should I mark? Why should I go through the burden of marking my products if I never plan to assert them? And here's the reason. Let's say you're sued by your competitor for patent infringement. And then you counter-sue, you counter-assert your own patents against this competitor. That's what companies that use their, their patents defensively typically do. Now, if you haven't marked your products, if you haven't complied with the patent marking statute, you won't be able to claim those six years of past damages. And that can drastically affect your leverage in the litigation, which will defeat the whole purpose of having patents for defensive purposes. When you have patents for defensive purposes, you want to have the maximum deterrent effect. And that's why it's a good idea to comply with the patent marking statute, even if you only have patents for defensive purposes. Thanks so much for joining us today, Eric. Great to be here. And if, if the listeners would like to see some samples of what a virtual patent marking webpage looks like, they should feel free to email me and I can pass along some that I've helped set up. And that would be a good starting point for creating a web page for your own company. If you have any questions for Eric or would like to see some examples of virtual patent marking web pages, his contact information is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.